Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 457 is recorded live July 23rd, 2020. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where I don't really don't have anything to complain about. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, thank you. Looking forward to uh, the next time we have our tankful dive. Yeah, the Tuesday seemed to be working out pretty good. I've been seeing uh, the photos of the bottles. And uh, joining us this week, we have... Kevin Ailes, how are you doing today, Kevin? Aaron, I'm doing most excellent. I'm glad to be here, and thanks for having me on. How are you doing this evening? I am doing wonderful. I just, uh, like I was saying, I don't have anything really to complain about. Weather's been good. Uh, had a pretty decent day at work, which is even better because I'm off tomorrow. So three-day weekend. Hopefully I get some more projects done and not feel like I'm crawling out of a hole. I'll be doing great. So you're going to get wet this weekend? I don't know. Is, any, is anybody going out? Oh yeah, bunch of going out. Huh. Going out, yeah. going out. Uh, probably tomorrow night. Uh, if all goes well, we're going to go out and dive the. Uh, oh, what is it? Uh, Ann Arbor number five tomorrow evening. Oh. And Sunday, looking at diving um, the Hazel A up in uh, Reeds Lake, and might even oh. do a night dive out at Woods Lake. Ooh, that's dive interesting. Up. Well, you know, Woods Lake is an area that, uh, I don't know, only has mediocre visibility. So, uh, you know, a night dive might do well. I'm finding that uh, a lot of areas with mediocre visibility, if you go in the evening or when the sun's rays are low, then you don't have the sunlight lighting up all the algae. And you can actually see better with a light that in the, at night than you do during the daytime. Is there a lot of boat traffic in the day on that lake? Not on that lake. No, that lake okay. actually is a no planing lake. So, okay, because I've noticed that some lakes, uh, you know, during the day with just boats stirring stuff up, you can get a little bit of silt or odd visibility, and you know, things have like if you dive real early in the morning the next day, you can get some outstanding vis sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, let's yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna try that at uh, Reeds Lake because Reeds Lake is an area which uh, has a you know, an awful lot of boat traffic. And I think the problem with the visibility at Reeds Lake tends to stem from the boat traffic because uh, a lot of it's very, very shallow. And, you know, if you were to stay in the in the deep areas, you wouldn't be able to turn your boat around very well. So, uh, see, we're trying a very early morning dive. We're planning on uh, being at Reeds Lake at 9 a.m. And uh, in the evening, we'll dive Woods Lake. So it should be a pretty big day. Ah, sounds good. Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. First article we have up is in Pitcheress Boracay. A crown of thorns infestation is eating away at the reef. Uh, the resort island of Boracay is showing signs of recovery thanks to an ongoing rehabilitation and COVID-19 pandemic, which closed off the island from tourists. Authorities of residents have reported return of seashells on Boracay's beaches and sighting of scoop owls. Signs that say sh- 
show the island is slowly but surely recovering. But its underwater ecosystem tells a different story. Local officials fear the island's coral reefs are badly affected by an invasion of crown of thorn starfish. Among the largest starfish in the world, crown of thorn starfish are the bane of the hard stony corals that they feed on, says Heron D. Vargas, a local marine biologist. Coastal and agricultural runoff are the primary drivers for surging crown of thorns populations. Overfishing of its fish predators also trigger an outbreak and can increase the water temperatures. But whichever the case, uh, COTS, which is the abbreviation, infestation points to an unhealthy reef ecosystem. Vargas also works in the government-run Community Environment and National Resource Office, CENRO, and tells Manga Bay that uh, they've received reports from the fishing folk of these undersea attacks for several months now. For the past four months, he's been unable to confirm reports due to the lockdown imposed to contain the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, the CENRO office was only able to confirm the possible outbreak on July after Department of Tourism allowed it to conduct dives and check up on corals amid the ongoing lockdown measure. The director came after the, the directive came after the island was allowed to reopen to local tourists, the main diver driver of the local economy. Vargas Group secured permit from local government confirmed that the re- reports are correct. The crown of thorn starfish are proliferating proliferating in the bay's reefs, but diving to check on the corals isn't enough. Even if we're allowed to go diving, our resources are limited this time. We lack the manpower and the pool of divers. Many of our volunteer professional divers have returned to their provinces and cities soon after the pandemic. They won't return here to help. This isn't the first time the reefs have suffered from the crown of thorns infant, infant, infant infestation. Vargas says the outbreak occurred in 2018, which covered Boracay's corals and outlying areas. In July of last year, the nearby waters of, what was that place, uh, Colossi, on the nearby island of Penne, also saw a crown of thorns outbreak that spread it into the neighboring tourist islands of uh, Marasun and Managun, and those I'm sure are not correct. This year, similar outbreaks are being reported in nearby Tangalan. I, I need to like check these articles in advance. Or I can say that place or that other place or in the place next door. Uh, Vargas said the only solution he can see is a train, uh, another set of divers, and also eager fisher folk to keep the crown of thorns at bay. Uh, we are planning to do is train available divers and some fishermen on how to inject vinegar in the crown of thorns to kill them. Another option is we manually collect the crown of thorns and properly dispose of it. Um, yeah, back in 2018, we collected more than 15,000 kilos or 33,000 pounds of the crown of thorns after one month relentless campaign and operation. This time, uh, there are not enough volunteer divers left on the island. Seems like if they put a bounty on them, that might be one way to get people to go out there and do something. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the challenge is that diving is their tourism. So if you let these continue on, then it will get back that the uh, corals aren't there and people will stop coming. But do they have enough funds or resources to be able to maintain uh, incentives uh, to pick these up? I mean, 
Thirty-three thousand yeah. pounds. I'm trying to figure out how they could. I'm trying to figure out any way they could do it similar to how they've been uh, hunting lionfish down Florida area, but it just seems to be so much apples and oranges here that you know the lionfish actually have some value because they're tasty. <laughs> they could eat these things, you know. So, yeah, I don't. I don't know what you can do with them. Uh, Nasty buggers. Yeah. Well, the pictures I had there are quite interesting. Both of the wreck visibility is good. Plus, mm-hmm. good examples of what the crown of thorns look like. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing they got some nice water temperature by how they're all geared up. Uh, yeah. Yeah, those guys didn't just get done diving the iron sides, that's for sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, uh, how's this for uh, poking your hand into places? A cache of unexploded military bombs found in new Taipei City coastal waters. A popular scuba diving location has been sealed off after 13 unexploded bombs were identified by military divers in New Taipei's city on July 21st. Coast Guard personnel sealed off the area yesterday after a recreational scuba diver reported finding a large unexploded military bomb in the afternoon. That was around 3 p.m. Military divers began searching the area around 9 a.m. the next day, and by 2.45 it identified 13 large pieces of unexploded military ordnance along with a piece of a ship's hull. The bombs are difficult to identify due to their age and condition. Two Coast Guard patrol vessels were dispatched to guard the area and prevent fishing boats from entering the area where relevant military units discussed disposal methods. Older residents in the area believe the mil- that a military ship carrying bombs had been sunk in the area by a Japanese colonial era, according to the Liberty Times report. Seems like by now you would have seen that before. I would think so. Uh, they they show the photo, which is not a really clear photo, but it looks like they've been exposed. So is it just an area people haven't gone to? I'd like to know they, the depth of it also. Yeah. Well, the, the easiest way to find them is just go down there with, uh, you know, one of those little sledgehammers and just kind of whack them around a bit. Well, tap the nose. Yeah, tap the nose. And then if they don't go off, then you write dud on the top of it. Right, and if no. they do, then you probably took care of all the other ones in the area. Hey, it works for Bugs Bunny. Why yeah. Not? Yeah, Wiley Coyote, we get him down there. Yeah. I have to say Acme on him to get right Wiley Coyote involved. I think he's going to get a roadrunner out of the deal. Yeah. A Blackburn Youth scuba diver uh, took a plunge to build Legos underwater. An 11-year-old has become the first person in the world to build a Lego 40-foot underwater to raise money for the NHS, which I believe that's in the UK. That's their National Health Service. Sophia O'Dea, O'Dea, D-E-A, O'Dea, from Blackburn, plunged in the depths of the Cavern Ray diving site in Lancaster, staying under for almost an hour to build an air tanker. It was her last day at Shadsworth Junior School, and a passionate diver received a call from a school after her dive congratulating her for her achievement. Sophie said, it was good but cold. I thought it was cold that I could do that underwater. Oh, cool. And I was the first person to ever do it. It was a hard bit to get down because I could not equalize, but the diving was fun and I would do it again. My brother helped me when I dropped the Lego piece. He quickly grabbed it because otherwise it would have floated to the top. I I didn't realize that, but Legos must float. Not a clue. Yeah, I, I haven't tried that one out. I feel good that I did it. I'm proud of myself. Sophie was accompanied underwater by her 18-year-old brother, an experienced diver 
Declan Flynn, stepdad Les uh, Whitefield, and diving instructor Chris Fernley. So far, Sophia has raised raised five thousand pounds for the NHS. Her teaching assistant mom, thirty nine year old Emma O'Day, said we went. It went really well, although she's a bit nervous before she was shaking, but when she got in the water, she just wanted to do it. The Zoom call was lovely from her school, and they were all congratulating her. The team took a spare cylinder because due to coronavirus, they cannot share oxygen as they normally would have done. Sophie built a structure in 44 minutes and spent 57 minutes underwater in total. During the lockdown, since Sophie could not access a pool, her mom got a blow up one and her younger diver got a full wetsuit on to practice building the Legos underwater. Mrs. O'Day said the neighbors must have thought we were crazy because she was in her four full gear underwater. She had lots of support from her family and even from strangers. There was a loud cheer when she came back up. Sophie wants to work as a police search diver. Off to a good start. Yeah. And I wonder if they're going to have, so this one, I wonder how specific it was. Was it any Lego? Did it have to have so many pieces? Are they going to have different classifications, car, plane, boat? All I know is your bits and your find them at night. Yep. With your, with your bare feet. Absolutely. Legos and Barbie heels. Those are the best things to get on your feet in the middle of the night. And disabled veteran scuba divers spruce up an underwater memorial. Uh, eight veterans discovered that uh, they were asked to travel to Clearwater to clean up 13 life-size military statues that make up the Circle of Heroes. Completed last August, the Circle of Heroes is the nation's first underwater dive memorial honoring, honoring excuse me, the country's veterans. The statues, each standing six feet tall, are arranged in a circle 40 feet beneath the waves in the Gulf of Mexico, about 10 miles off Clearwater. In the center, a single monument weighing nearly three tons features bronze emblems representing each of the armed forces, Air Force, Army, Marines, Navy, and Coast Guard. The Circle of Heroes serves not only as a memorial for veterans and an attraction for divers, but also as a therapeutic dive site for disabled veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and trauma. But after only a year beneath the seas, the statues were coated with barnacles, a buildup of sea salt, algae that couldn't be remedied with mere soap and water. How, how underwater does sea salt build up? Or are they talking about calcification? Is that what they're seeing? I think the calcification. Yeah, because sea salt, it's like you're, you're in salt water. So if you get a density higher than the sea, it's going to dissolve. If you have it less, it's going to, you know, increase it. Uh, Brighter Future Florida, a nonprofit responsible for the Circle of Heroes, looked to another nonprofit organization for help based in Arizona. The Deep Sea Valkyries worked to enhance the lives of veterans with PTSD by introducing them to activities such as scuba diving. Eight members of Deep Sea Valkyries recently flew in from across the country to clean the concrete statues and bronze markers. Armed with specialized underwater cleaning tools, including scrapers and drill brushes, divers spend a day carefully chiseling away at the accumulation of sea life without compromising the works of art. Brighter Future Florida hopes to eventually install 11 more life-size statues to complete the 100-foot circle of heroes and is asking donations from the community. Uh, you know, the I 
is there an expectation that they're going to be able to keep those monuments clean? I was just thinking from the, I saw an article in a, in a actually a video the other day was on newscast talking about similar items here. And one of the comments was, this will be the monuments when they're diving here a thousand years from now. Well, maybe if they had like some really high quality anti-fouling paint installed there before, and kind of late for that deal now. So they they well, do have barnacle ret- barnacle retardant paint, but obviously didn't think about that beforehand. Well, a lot of times the intent with these monuments, you know, like the uh, ones that are in uh, off the off Mexico, is that they they intend them to build up, right, to grow sea life that. Right. So, yeah, well, they do try and make them as realistic as possible. They're eventually going to, you know, have marine life on it. And that's taken into consideration with how they design and and space them. So I'm wondering if this was thought of as differently or did somebody just decide, you know, hey, you know, we like them better without the growth. Well, it's going to be a full-time job to keep the growth off them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we even see that here in freshwater with the, with the quagga mussels. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, gosh, I made a mistake. I pulled up a ladder. <laughs> One of our tank platoons brought a brought a ladder up off a boat that was down the bottom there, and I should have left it down there because it had like I don't know three inches of quaggas on it, and it wasn't that old of a ladder. Okay, <laughs> I mean, it's just when that stuff builds up, you know, it's 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 their home. Then they, they take it over. Yeah, they they've been struggling to find a spot. You know, when you when you see them when they're like crawl when they're growing on each other because that's the only hard surface in the bottom. That ladder was probably like heaven to them. Like hallelujah, look what we've got. Yeah, it wasn't when I found it because <laughs> I, I, I cleaned I, I cleaned it up, but it still stinks. It's got stuff inside <laughs> it. Well, it's hollow, you know, so I couldn't get the ones out of the inside of it. I, I put it on the backyard and probably put it in the garbage can. You know, you think think before you bring something home, you know. So yeah, yeah. Well, how about this for an unintentional accident? Uh, a weird-looking fish is a hybrid offspring of an American paddlefish and a Russian sturgeon, both critically endangered. The American paddlefish and Russian sturgeon were never fated to mate, but when scientists accidentally bred a new hybrid or the two, the, the sturtlefish was born. Most people know the Russian sturgeons for its eggs, sold as high in caviar. American paddlefish is a long snout that can be found in about half the U.S. Both species are referred to as fossil fish because of their ancient lineage and slow evolution. Unfortunately, both the sturgeon and paddlefish are critically endangered, according to international. Union of Conservation of Nature, because both fish species are in danger of dying out, scientists are understandably curious if sturgeon paddlefish can be bred in captivity. Using, is it, gynogeneticists, a method of asexual reproduction that requires the presence of sperm without the contribution of their DNA for completion, the researchers accidentally used paddlefish sperm to fertilize the sturgeon's eggs. Remarkably, the hybridization worked. Hybridization fish hatched from the eggs, and researchers separated them into two groups. Some of the sturtle fish had twice as much maternal DNA, looked more like sturgeons than paddlefish. The second group, which had the same amount of maternal and paternal DNA, 
look like an equal mix of the two species. Scientist Attila Mazar from the Research Institute of Fisheries and Aquaculture in Hungary, in addition to other scientists responsible for the new fish hybrid, revealed their study their findings in a study, study published in the scientific journal Genes this month. The study marked. Go ahead. Accidental. Accidental, according to. I mean, you're being dedicated scientific reproduction, and you accidentally do something. Hey, um, come on! When it comes to reproduction, accidents happen. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I I was going to go there. Uh, Study marked the first successful hybridization of these two species. And then they go and say that what their uh, Latin names are. We never wanted to play around with hybridization. It was absolutely unintentional. Well, the strudel fish often offer a fascinating look in the hybridization of the two species that weren't necessarily meant to mate. Don't expect an influx of strudel fish to invade the waters anytime soon. Most human male hybrids like the strudel fish are sterile and can't reproduce in the wild. So for now, the sturtle fish are merely a scientific oddity. You, you know, they're kind of cute. cute little buggers, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't well, mind getting one of them in my aquarium, you know? It'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. You mean swimming pool? <laughs> yeah. Aquarium for now. <laughs> how, about, yeah. how about neighbor swimming pool? <laughs> oh, probably pretty tasty, too. I would guess so. Well, I, I don't think they were intending on a hybrid. But I would like to question a couple of them and say, were you, were they, tr- were they thinking that, because they're, they're talk the, the thing they were doing was, if you look, it says a method of asexual reproduction requires the presence of sperm without the contribution of their DNA for completion. As a novice, that almost makes it sound like, hey, it doesn't matter because it's just a medium. It's not going to pass on the dna material right right. so is that what they were thinking and then when they saw the results they went oh shit and then you know you don't want to be known as uh you know frankenstein or or something and be doing these experiments so you you kind of backtrack a little i'm sure there was a lot done you know do they even publish the paper because you're really publishing the paper on an oops and you know that there's going to be some people are going to have some feedback on it well then they just call it the frankenfish yeah and the thing is if it is sterile fish wouldn't that almost be the ideal fish for aqua farming because if it escaped it can't breed with anything yeah so you're you're raising sterile fish that may might taste good and pose little risk to the environment but they 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 were presuming they were sterile. I don't think they guaranteed they were sterile. Said most human-made hybrids are sterile and can't reproduce. So it didn't sound like they had validated it, but that's just the, oh, well, don't worry about it. Don't look over here. Uh, why are divers venturing deep inside the baffling blue hole? This one's from Popular Mechanics. Scientists are trying to explore under water sinkhole called blue hole sending divers and equipment into well-known mysterious spots off the coast of florida called the green banana sinkholes begin about 150 feet down extends more than 400 feet deep 
What do these undersea sinkholes mean and how they are related to the rest of the ocean? There's only one way to find out. These researchers are diving in head first. Uh, they said technically they're entering face first in accordance with the best scuba diving practice. Uh, these researchers no, you should are... be going down prone if you're in best scuba diving practice. Come on, what's up with that? Yeah. The, these researchers are in the middle of a three-year project. They're explored nearby Amberjack Hole in 2019. That blue hole is 350 feet deep, making a great stepping stone before the team attempts to even deeper green banana. The team included scientists from the U.S. Geological Society, Florida Atlantic University, Moat Marine Laboratory, Georgia Institute of Technology. They're working with financial support from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA. In a statement, NOAA explains why blue holes are both perplexing and important. Little is known about the blue hole due to the lack of accessibility and unknown distribution and abundance. The opening of a blue hole can be several hundred feet underwater in many holes. The opening is too small for an automated submersible. In fact, the first reports of blue holes did not come from scientists or researchers, but actually from fishermen and recreational divers. For this project, researchers built an item they call a benthic lander. The uh, benthic zone is the sea floors. In this case, the floor portion of any body of water. The lander is shaped like a triangular prism. The cage of metal tubing enclosed a platform where scientific instruments are mounted. Having three landing points makes it stable on more kinds of terrain than, say, a four-legged or flat-bottom form factor. Lander weighs 600 pounds, and it's carefully lowered from the surface. The human researchers make a dive into Amberjack, and now Green Banana is also a very big deal. Amberjack's opening is at 113 feet, and Green Banana is 155 feet. Typical scuba certification gets divers comfortable to do about 40 feet, past which they must use specialized learning. It's safe and doable, but extensive planning and potential for danger rules out most vacation divers. Uh, Patty's Deep Diver course trains divers for up to 130 feet. That only gets a diver to the mouth of the amberjack and within spitting distance of the entry of the green banana. Researchers taking the plunge into green banana are well-trained, decked out in safety gear, and still very courageous. And once they're in the column of water inside green banana, they can take samples, run all kinds of tests using equipment and tools on the benthic lander for support. From the NOAA statement, water samples are collected by divers and the lander yields microbes whose DNA was extracted, processed, and isolated specific marker genes and analyzed. Scientists find the microbes are, the holes are layered with different genetic varieties at different relative abundances among the top, middle, and bottom layers of water. In Amberjack, the scientists found two intact specimens of an endangered sawfish species. As if planning an expedition in August 2020 wasn't enough, green banana isn't just 20 feet deeper. The configurational hole is somewhat hourglass-shaped, creating new challenges for the lander deployment and water sampling, Noah explains. Having a crimp in the middle means green bananas likely has a different array of genetic specimens at the same relative levels as amberjack because the geometry is likely affected how the organisms live and spread out in the space. Yeah, never double blue hole, but wouldn't mind trying it sometime. No, there, there, there's a variety of them. You've got, uh, you know, the, there's the the one in near Mexico. That's a a very popular one. The one that Jacques Cousteau had dove. Uh, yeah, there's that one over uh, by Egypt. By Egypt. 
Yeah, Charmel Shake. Yep. That's Yep. That that's uh that's a, a popular uh one that occasionally has some risk due to its orientation. Uh mm-hmm. it's kinda like cave diving but down. You know, you're 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 already deep and then you're you add to it. So that's that's pretty hardcore, you know, going down there four hundred feet. Yeah, I, there's a book out there, uh Walk on the Deep Side. It's about how when it's a it's nonfiction, it's about how when uh, Trimix became available to the public back in the mid nineties brought on this huge race to who could go deeper and set more records going deeper. And uh the stuff that went on in Char Charmel Shake was stuff terrify us now, you know, <laughs> but it was yeah. you know, the infancy of Trimix to the public and uh it wasn't supervised or regulated, and away they went. Well, I mean, they some people have referred to nitrox as voodoo gas, but some of this trimix, I don't even know what you'd call that, supernatural. Uh, I can I remember before. Go ahead. I don't know. I mean, nitrox is there's really not a, not a lot of magic to it. I mean, it's for, some people live by it. So some people some people can't tell the difference. You know, I I've, I've used it a few times, and you know, I. Of course, when I'm using the rebreather, I'm using the whole all the time there. But um, some people are kind of hooked on this stuff. Yeah. Before I started diving, I was reading all sorts of stuff, and it seemed like in the early days of trimix, there was like all these little camps. You know, you had this group was doing this mix, and then they wouldn't tell anybody else what their mix was, and then another group was doing another mix, and you couldn't. You know, if you were in Group A, you didn't go and dive with Group B because you know you either you were stealing or you were diving the dangerous way. You know, you weren't diving their way. So, I think when the agency started training, uh, doing tech diving more formalized, uh, it kind of eliminated some of that. Mac, do you do you remember those where you, where you have visibility yes, some of those? Right. <laughs> <laughs> But again, cave divers are totally different too. It's like, what do you think they charge some of their tanks to when they're starting your diving? A lot of them would overpressurize those by over a thousand pounds because, hey, it worked. Nothing blew up. So you basically hydroed your tank every time. Well, yes. that's, why, that's why we call it a cave fill, you know, if it's a, a generous yeah. fill. And I think well, some of them still are. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting when you talk to uh, cave divers. Uh, is I think they've they've gotten used to it, and you know they. I'm not saying it's it's I'm not criticizing them for it, but they've gotten they got comfortable, and you know, enough times without a problem, and you've got the safety margin, and everybody's happy. But th- that's probably another podcast <laughs> we should, we could just do. Uh, tanks and fills and pressures. Well, you, you've never really heard of any of those imploding or exploding. Otherwise, we'd have been talking about it on this the show. Well, you I'm, know, one of the one of the questions you often get from the uh, people that don't dive is, "Wow, have you ever dove the Titanic?" You know, but the you know, <laughs> ex- explain it to them this way, okay? The the pressure at the Titanic is 6,000 PSI. The pressure inside a scuba tank is 3,000 PSI. So if you t- were to take a scuba tank down the Titanic, 
it would it would crush long before it got there. And if you, if you did manage to get one there intact and open it up, the water would rush inside it. <laughs> You'd, so it's, it's a whole different whole physiology down there. And probably overexpand it because it would be three times three thousand more. So that's a hell yeah. of a hydro you take. Yeah, not recommended though. I'd like to see the stamp on when you did that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That that's um that's almost uh, reminds me of the movie The Abyss when you start talking about the crazy deep. I've got a cat no, but, here who's trying to invade my desk. But you know, when, once you're a diver, you just can't enjoy those those shows anymore. You know, because I mean, yeah. Okay, I mean, it's okay. Has anybody here managed to watch 47 meters without cussing, swearing, and throwing things at the TV? <laughs> no, Anyone here on that? I mean, no, absolutely not. Man, that, I I I refuse to watch it just for that reason. I've uh, well, I feel I've saved my my blood pressure a little bit. Well, and the, and they made like an, at least one more with the with the with I didn't see the second one, but Was that I mean 47 I, and a half or it's something with the sharks or something. I don't know. But uh it's could, could they maybe have at least consulted with maybe an open water diver, you know? I mean, there's just so much wrong in those movies that I mean, come on. These Never dove before girls, don't, aren't even certified, going down 47 meters, which is what, like 150 feet, okay? And, and on, on full face masks, on, on, on 60, 30 cubic foot tanks, okay? And, okay, anybody knows you go that deep, first time diving on a full, you know, even, not, even, not even on the full face mask, first time divers going to be out of air in about two minutes at that depth, okay? Because they'd be huffing and puffing <laughs> the whole time, you know? And they're screaming and making all kinds of noise and shit and everything, you know? I mean, people only watched it for the bikinis. That was it, you know? <laughs> well, Mac, didn't we have an article on that where they they interviewed the dive consultant or something? I think they did, but again, they have, what is it, like poetic license? Yeah. Yeah, and, and the guy said, yeah, I told him about that, but you know, they have to have a narrative, they have to have a story, and oh well. Because it always, I remember what it was, it was the dive safety officer, because they actually were filming under underwater. And of course, when they went and did the uh, the media tours, they had to hype it up, like, you know, how we almost did draw, die in the in the thing. So, Well, you know, and you could actually tell by watching the bubbles. Because, you know, bubbles actually behave differently at 47 meters versus at 20 feet, okay? You could tell they were, you know, <laughs> at the bottom of a swimming pool someplace, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'd, you know, throw throw the uh, dark ping pong balls on the surface of the pool and the lights off. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh. yeah, that, that was just the, the, the bad of the bad, you know? Um, although, I will say the, the, the Meg, as far as a diving movie, wasn't too bad. That was not a bad one there, but um, another one I haven't seen was the one where Jill Heinerth was the uh, uh, diving consultant on it, and I think it, one of the characters is loosely based on her. Did she um, just go on and on to, talking about herself the whole time? Oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't say that. But yeah. <laughs> no, the story was talking about where who who did that? Do you remember that one, Mac? Was that? It wasn't no. James Cameron or somebody, no. but it was, it was uh, whoever the director was, and they were doing some uh, pre-test. Uh, so Joe was 
shown them how they they did something. So she was she took her tank off and pushed the tank through the hole, and she pushed it so hard that it went through with momentum and it pulled the regulator out of her mouth. So she had no regulator. So she flipped up to the roof of the of that cave section where air had built up and she breathed from the air pocket before I, I can't remember if somebody offered her air or if she had a bailout or something. And in the debriefing, they're like, wow, you know, how, how did you train or plan for that? How many times have you done it? She basically said she hadn't done it before. But that's Jill Heinrich. I mean, she's yeah. quite experienced. Okay. Do, do not try this at home folks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and her real story on that is much better. So we'll have to, uh, you know, if you, if you want to read about it, do a search and, and it's out there. Uh, a former Coast Guard cutter to be sunk off the coast of Masonboro Inlet in memory of a diver. Uh, on June 22nd, 2017, he lost his life during a scuba diving spearfishing trip. Immediately, his friends and family began to think of how to honor him. Community really in shock and sadness and they said what we can do to create a memorial for brian an underwater ocean memorial for brian brian's mom kathy davis said for the past three years brian loved ones have been working with north carolina division of marine fisheries to sink a ship in his name and finally on friday july 24th the former coast guard cutter was at salvia now named brian davis will find its home 20 meters out of the masonboro inlet this will form an artificial reef, creating a habitat for ocean wildlife and a long-lasting memorial for his uh, loved ones to visit. The living tribute to Brian, Brian's dad, Charles Davis, said, his spirit will be down there with anybody that goes and sees it, whether they're fishing on top or diving on the bottom. Among the first to dive the wreck will be one of Brian's best friends, Mark uh, Winneberger. Brian's always watching over me. He's like my guardian angel now, he said. While he might not physically be there. He's definitely spiritual, spiritually there every time I go offshore. He's always looking out. We always feel his presence, but that's going to be a really special sight to really feel closer to him in our own way, especially. He says it's a perfect way to honor his friend for many years to come. When people and divers go visit the site, it's because of Brian. They'll be able to see Brian's name in the ship, that the site will always be referred to as Brian Davis for centuries to come. I can't think of a better way to memorialize Brian. If all goes planned, uh, the wreck will sink Friday morning at 9 a.m. So by the time most people hear this, it will have already been in the water. But I love the, and there's a, there's a few posts on this, but that would be a great type of uh, wrecked sink. Nice size. Well, and it's a nice memorial, too, to the if you guys want, you can do that for me when I die. I'm okay. The 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 Kevin Ailes memorial wreck. Yeah, you guys probably find a garbage barge somewhere to sink in my name. I bet. <laughs> I if it was all bottles or something, a lot of guys would like that. Yeah, all the mm-hmm. bottles would would work yeah, their way out. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, when I, when I go, I want you guys to, to acquire the Spartan and sink it for me, okay? It's been sitting up there in uh, Ludington for a while. Go grab that and sink it for me, all right? Yeah, just, just grab the Milwaukee Clipper. I, I, I'm kind of partial to that one. 
That would be my choice. <laughs> you know, I understand the, I was talking to a, a guy who uh, actually, Jason, one of my side buddies, tells me a story about when the uh, the Kiwatin left Saugatuck to, you know, it's a museum ship. Uh-huh. It nearly sank. It was like taking on water really bad. And we almost had a new dive site after that happened. Well, do you remember? Because I, I, I had done a few dives the year they were trying to get that out. And they were having all sorts of problems. I mean, they had like a boat that was coming in to tow it out and it got stuck. <laughs> I mean, it's. Yep. Yep. Well, and then, then when they dredged it out, they didn't dredge it deep enough. They did some error in their math or something and they were off by like four feet. So they had to like drag it, you know, and it was just mm-hmm. a nightmare getting it out of there. It was just. Just a disaster. Yeah. Well, and I've heard the, uh, on the Kiwatin that they uh, were having, because uh, it, it went back to Canada to to its home port. It had been in Saugatuck. Uh, you know, we lived in that area. Gosh, yeah. I, I think it went in there in the 60s. It had been sitting for quite a long time. And, and I remember my dad talking about when they were going to pull it out. He's like, you know, that that's not been the most stable of hull for decades. And uh, he was questioning whether it would even make it because they're not, you know, a ship of that type, you would have done some maintenance and. uh, Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and Saugatuck was kind of the museum there was getting a little nervous. It was beautiful on the inside, but you know, they were having a hard time keeping it dry. Uh, So, but yeah, this, this, this Coast Guard cutter or something, I I mean, this is beautiful. Like to see some more shipwrecks <laughs> planned in the great lakes well, well you know there's one of the wrecks that amy and i dived up in uh, the up was the uh, steven Salvik, which was a deliberately sunk boat up in the algae preserve and uh now that is a cool dive you know there's not you know it's not a wreck so no one no one died on it, it was deliberately sunk but it's a completely intact um tugboat and I want to say it's about 60 feet at the bottom there. Uh, it's kind of leaning over on, I want to say, leans over on port. Really cool dive, though. I mean, great visibility. It's pretty chilly down there. We did all our stuff in wetsuits up there. Um, we actually did nearly all of our dives in, you know, the, the Great Lakes on our honeymoon in wetsuits. And it worked out very, very well. So, but, uh, yeah, it's cool ship in 60 foot of water there. Need more of them. Uh, and then this one is from the website Russia Beyond, and it's showing Russian drones that will rescue people and earn fortunes for their owners. In early May, a Russian robot became the first ever fully autonomous probe to reach the bottom of the Marinara Trench in the Pacific Ocean, the deepest point in Earth. The autonomous underwater vehicle goes by the name Vyaz-D, the Russian robot sank to a depth of 10,028 meters. Although other countries had already sent devices to the bottom of the trench, among those are the United States and Japan, none of them had the AI capability or was fully autonomous robot, said Professor Vladim Kozulin of the Russian Academy of Military Sciences told Beyond Russia. As he explained, every meter of previous descents was controlled by divers and remote operators. As for the Russian probe, people could only watch with bated breath, like during the first manned spaceflight. Russian Deputy Prime Minister Yuri Brozov 
uh, described as an outstanding achievement for Russian science and defense industry, stressing that such projects were to give rise to a new elite R&D complex. According to Kazulin, Viet-D will study the underwater shelf and be used to develop further subsea oil and gas fields and the interest of both Russian and foreign companies. The developers, he said, will announce by the end of 2020 the time frame for bringing the commercial model to market. Russian engineers have created the world's first AI search and rescue drone, able to independently locate people in distress and fold open a life raft. The project called was it Avrora is already in use by Russian Ministry of Emergency Situations for operations in the White Sea, which is part of the Arctic Ocean. Accordingly, Radar MMS, a developer company, the drone searches for drowning people using technical vision, special neurons, and data loaded in the drone AI identify shipwreck victims in the water. As soon as it finds a victim, it approaches, unfolds life rafts. There's a sensor on the raft which broadcasts the SOS signal tens of kilometers around. This according to Ivan Antsev. Uh, at the crash site, the drone is dropped from a small, unpiloted helicopter designed for unassisted takeoffs and landings, both urban and sea conditions. This helicopter, another radar MMS development, is capable of detecting an object in rain, fog, thanks to state-of-art radar. It sounded more like a commercial than uh, really something. Looks pretty cool, though. I wish I knew the size yeah. and the weight, the way they're lifting it. Yeah, well, if you look in that top photo, that. there's a gentleman walking. Mm -hmm. Gives you an idea of the scale so there. That would, yeah, so I would say it's probably, that'd make it five to six feet in diameter. Uh, maybe maybe know, a little less. Yeah. Be maybe, yeah. I mean, if, if you're talking the cradle, if you're talking the cradle, it's probably about six feet tall. But, uh, mm -hmm. The length probably about, you know, 12 feet long or less. Mm -hmm. wonder what that cost. Many, Hello? many rupees. Many, many rupees. Yeah. And if you, you buy it, you probably get a tanker of oil with it. And uh, see the $135 million underwater lab designed by Fabian Cousteau and Yaz Bayer. Uh, 60 feet doesn't sound like much, but under the weight of water, the short distance enough to triple the pressure of our normal atmosphere. It's about as far below the surface as humans can live. A strange isolated place where voice pitches go up and cuts heal faster, rashes spread with abandon. Uh, batteries deplete more quickly, which is why Fabian Cousteau, ocean researcher and grandson of Jacques Cousteau, likens a challenge to building an underwater lab to crafting the International Space Station. Uh, now, that's not necessarily true, is it? That's as deep as you can live. Don't saturation divers live a little bit deeper? Well, I think they might have meant without having to deco all the Okay. So something lost in the translation from the uh, to the author writing this this is a fast company so not known for their uh technical dive information uh, and that's just what he wants to build the underwater iss called proteus costo has been fundraising in an unprecedented lab where researchers can come from across the globe to study the ocean for weeks or months at a time the price tag 
$135 million. That's a lot of money to put scientists just 60 feet underwater, but Cousteau's offerings offer strong arguments for submerging science. There's not only an emotional need to be there in person, but pragmatic need to be there for efficiency with firsthand knowledge. Cousteau points to the that pulling specimens out of the water degrades their chemical composition. So studying more species underwater could give us cleaner data. Furthermore, when scuba diving and scientists have limited oxygen supply, plus they need to allow time for their body to acclimate to changing pressure, this puts a natural limiter on just how much research they can do. A lab would turn the ocean into something more like a day at the office, allowing researchers to put in a true 8 to 10 hour day, 60 feet below the surface, or they can use Proteus like a launch pad, sending a drone or submarine even deeper into the ocean without having to worry about dive logistics, 12 to 18 hour decompression in between. Yes. Yeah. But unless they're doing uh, ambient pressure, they're going to still going to need to have do decompression. I mean, yes. At at 60 Mm -hmm. feet, it's uh, what is it? Um, by the old school charts, I'm not saying to use this in your in your table, tables, folks, but uh, in the old school charts, it's um, 60 minutes at 60 feet, okay, So, and, and you're in deco. So if you're going down there for your office day, yeah, you're significantly in deco, unless they, they're, they're trying to do this at ambient pressure here. But when they're talking about voice pitch goes up, cuts heal faster, then yeah, they're, they're not at, you know, at 14.6 PSI. They're going to be at three atmospheres down there, which is going to put you in a deco, definitely. Yeah, well, and I think the intent is you want to study stuff at 60 feet of pressure versus the surface, because if you bring it to surface pressure, you've defeated the benefits that they're saying. So it's not like a day at the office because you're still going to have some sort of deco obligation unless you're just living down there, which I I really think is what he's trying to do. Uh, A few years back, uh, uh, Fabian was trying to do something with his uh, grandfather's because his grandfather had the undersea one that they did in the seventies yep. and it was deteriorating and he was trying to get something to restore it. And I think he, you know, I'm guessing by this time they figured out that restoration is just not practical. It'd be better to fund it new. Um, and, and they go into some detail on it. We won't read the whole thing, but, my recommendation to them would be to partner with a university. You want to find a deep pocket person. I mean, if Paul Allen was alive, he'd be a nice uh, deep pocket. I mean, you've also got Jeff Bezos who likes some underwater stuff. So you need somebody of that caliber and wealth. And then you want to coordinate with a university that has an underwater program. Because if they can charge students and have a Ph.D., PhD degree program that relates to the studies, then you would you would have all sorts of supports. You know, I mean, there are people who are who are donating forty million to have a a building on a university campus. So uh, it seems like you could find somebody to do something similar underwater. As long as you can show that uh, you know the cost benefits on it there. Oh, and then they show down below, they show the photo of the Aquarius lab, which is the one uh, that his grandfather had done. Said uh, the Proteus will be 
very ambitious. It's roughly 10 times the size of Aquarius, the world's only underwater lab currently in operation, where Cousteau set a record for living underwater when he spent 31 days in 2014. Oh, that's a different one. That's not as the one his grandfather done. That's a different lab. So, I mean, it's cool by me. I mean, then the other thing would be ecotourism. I mean, could you fund part of it through rich people taking tours and dive excursions? You can find a way to make it pay. It's just, uh, you know, I think you're on the on the right track though with the universities, though. Dear. Yeah, yeah. I'm just if I was on his team and doing stuff, that would be kind of where my angle would go. Because you know who, who yeah. You know, part of it is for legacy. So if you could, you know, naming rights, you know, the Paul Allen Underwater Research Center. And then you have to have specific concrete plans. And part of it's going to depend on where you're going to put it. I mean, there's, you know, can you get a drug company to fund it? Are there, you're going to put it in parts of the ocean where there's, you know, biomedical research for, you know, what, what we can gather from organisms for medical and drugs. So uh, you have to be creative in trying to fund it because. Yeah. I just wonder if there's, you know, enough research to be done in a certain area to justify all of this. I mean, you'd think that it would, you know, dry up eventually. No pun intended. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's the other part they haven't talked about. That's 135 million to build it. What are the operating costs annually? I mean, if you build it for 135 million and that's 20 million a year to run, yeah, that that drastically reduces your potential donors and sponsors. So, yeah, but, but still know, very it cool. Comes to money, the money in pharmaceuticals that's a drop in the bucket. Yeah, I'll stop the puns. Yeah. <laughs> so that does it for scuba in the news. So let's see what we should we talk about diving. I think we've I've seen on Facebook. A lot of people diving. So who who got wet in the last week? And and Kevin, you've gotten quite a bit of time underwater. I'm kind of like a raisin over here. I haven't fully dried out yet. Yeah, I I don't know. Been underwater quite a bit. So, um, made it to uh, the last couple of thirsty th- the tankful Tuesday dives we've had. The uh, Mud Club has been holding these uh, all. Basically, what since uh, May, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, um, I know Amy, the new vice president, decided she wanted to try something for you get the club back out diving because, like last year, they weren't doing a lot of. They did not do as much diving as they had in the past because the river was running so fast, and she kind of put together with doing some lake diving. But then the uh, the, um, the river started to produce. The current came down the river, and uh, you know, Mac just Mac suggests putting it in the river. And it's been the river ever since, you know, and it's been great. I mean, people have been finding some awesome treasures out there. I won't go into detail. I'll save that for Mac because that's kind of his domain. But, uh, yeah, I've had, I've had a lot of dives. Uh, of course, just got back from our honeymoon, and we spent 20, 20 days in the road and got in 24 dives in that time. Um, all Great Lakes and historical stuff there. Did, did, did a few in the river, 80-foot deep river. <laughs> but uh, um, had some great visibility, had some not great so visibility. Um, I don't know. I did almost everything in a wetsuit. Um, 
I had uh, planned on fixing Amy's dry suit on the road and uh, realized that I did not have some of the materials I needed to complete the repair and didn't think it was right for her to be, you know, suffering in a wetsuit and me going in my cozy dry suit. So I wetsuited as well. And actually, we didn't suffer. Um, you know, I often talk about you can dive 80% of our known shipwrecks in the Great Lakes in a wetsuit. And, uh, yeah, we, we put our money where my mouth is. You know, we uh, that's what we did. And, yeah, some of the dives were kind of chilly. We didn't hang around for a long time. But most of the ones that were really chilly were pretty deep, and you haven't got enough, you know, when you're diving, you know, 80s or 100s. And uh, Mac was kind enough to loan us a couple extra 80s. Um, you know, if you're down, you know, 80, 90 feet, and the water temp is, you know, in the, the low 40s, uh, or even high 30s, you don't have enough air to stick around and get too cold. You know, you're going to go down there, look at it, it's chilly, I'm going back up. And we we did have a few of those dives. You know, we uh, did dive the Eber Ward in wetsuits. And we got down there and said, yeah, this is just too cold for a wetsuit. <laughs> you can't do everything in a wetsuit, obviously. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know, we, we were out there, we, we, we had a marvelous dive on the Sandusky that day. Just a, I mean, ow, just, you know, we had about 60, maybe 80 foot visibility down there, which is pretty cool when you're on a, you know, 80 foot shipwreck. <laughs> and, uh, um, it was Amy's first introduction to the Sandusky. Sandusky is up at the Straits of Mackinac. It is a two masted brig that sunk in 1856, I want to say. It is the oldest shipwreck, uh, in the Straits that we, that we know of, discovered by, uh, oh my gosh, Charles Feltner back yep. about 19, 1985. Marvelous, marvelous, marvelous shipwreck to dive if you get a chance. If you get a chance, folks, go see the Sandusky. It was really we actually had to wait our turns. There was another another dive boat out there when we got out there. There was some guys from uh oh um Oh she's on my Facebook, better get the name right. <laughs> we <laughs> Oh what what's that group out of Chicago that comes out quite a bit? They got uh, the, Sean, oh, Sean, uh, Sean Sean Crowell's group. Sean uh, Crowell's the, group. the uh the oh crud. Are you are you talking about uh, dive right ins? Uh, no, double action. Double action was out there. Double action. You're right. That's yeah. Yeah, one one of their boats was out there, and we had to wait our turn. And uh, nope, they didn't salt it up too bad. But there was even kind of a, a mild current through there, so I wouldn't know if they had salted it up. But yeah, that that Sandusky dive was just the crumb to the crumb. And, uh, got Amy down there, and you know she's checking the figurehead out because it's one of the. Uh, few shipwrecks on the Great Lakes that has a figurehead. It's been replaced, not the original figurehead, but it's still it's a you know, it's a really cool dive. Um gosh, we had so many great dives. I mean we dove the Vienna, um which is Lake Superior. Um bottom there is like one forty four, but you don't gotta go see the mud. The mud all looks the same, you know. So we just went down to the deck which is about one twenty five. Had a nice dive down there. Um went out to the Huron Islands, which uh it's about 14 miles north out of Big Bay, which makes it about, I don't know, 45 miles uh, north out of Marquette. Uh, beautiful isolated area. Um, Dan Fountain gave us some information on some, not necessarily unknown wrecks, but some wrecks up there which are, um, you know, not re not frequently dove. You know, wrecks which are a little bit different areas than people expect. Um, 
had some, you know, again, lots and lots of pictures, lots and lots of video. I haven't had, a, had time to go through my pictures yet. I just started going through my pictures the other day, and we got so much stuff. Um, I don't know, we dove a really cool bridge over in Nuego area, um, 80 foot deep down to an iron truss bridge. Um, I don't know, it, it was just phenomenal. I mean, we that, had stuff. Go ahead. Where's, where's Nuego? Why, why does that sound familiar to me? Uh, it's not that far from here, actually. Well, in, compared to the UP, anyway. Uh, Nuego is, uh, oh, it's about an hour and a half north of Kalamazoo. It's on the Muskegon okay. River. It's on, on the Muskegon River. You have a series of um, of dams, impoundments, hydroelectric dams on the, the, the Muskegon River. And it's created, uh, oh, Croton Pond and Hardy Pond and things. And uh, okay. Hardy... Hardy actually has an old iron truss bridge in it. The bottom there's 80 feet deep. Found information about it at a at a museum in New in uh, in Nuego. Kind of pointed us that way. Then uh, we got out there. And actually, I, I had GPS numbers from a, a bridge historic bridge website, which were all wrong. I'm gonna have to get those corrected. But uh, no, really cool dive. It was Amy didn't come down on that one because uh, I don't know. It was pretty dark. And uh, I knew it was going to be dark, as you can tell. But when you, when you see brown water, you know it's going to be dark. And plus, we had an awful lot of boat traffic. If anybody chooses to dive to dive the Whitney Bridge in Nuego, well, actually, it's, it's not. It's in Hardy Dam Pond. Uh, it's a really cool dive, but keep in mind it's 80 feet to the bottom, extremely dark, good visibility down there, a little bit of current. And I find out later on that that lake is really known for a lot of big pike, which are attracted to your dive lights. I didn't see them down there. <laughs> but uh, I'm like, later on, I'm thinking like, man, I would not want to meet one of them toothy buggers down there at 80 feet, you know. So, <laughs> but uh, it is, you know, it's, um, and it's far enough away from the dam not to be a, any, any risk from the dam. So, uh, you know, you're probably a good, I don't know, quarter mile at least from the dam anyway. So you got a pretty good distance there. but. Uh, yeah, I mean, gosh, you know, we have so much great stuff here to dive in the Great Lakes, you know. Yeah, so you just have to do a little bit of research to find it and then dive on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. We dove some new stuff, which I can't really totally talk about, but talk a little bit about it. But I'm not going into detail, but, you know, some, one of one of my friends did tell us of a new shipwreck up in Big Berry area and been identified been hit it's been identified. No one's dove it yet. No one's got pictures of it. We dove that. You know, we went to dive uh a bunch of stuff out of Marquette. Uh some stuff in Marquette's really cool. Some stuff in Marquette needs to be updated, but uh tell you if you do go dive in Marquette, be very careful of all the reefs out there. Something we're not so familiar with in our area because it's all sand in this area. But Marquette uh, the reason the wrecks are there is because there's all these finger reefs that stick out everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you can just be cruising along just fine watching your depth finder, you know, 40 feet of water, 40 feet of water, 2 feet of water. Oops, you know, <laughs> that can be a problem. Um, we didn't hit anything and all that, but you you, you definitely want to be on the lookout for it. I found out that my, my blue charts don't <laughs> don't cover Lake Superior very well. Oops. So uh yeah. didn't hit anything, but we had to be, be pretty cautious up there. So. Yeah, lots and lots of dives. Dove the Bultimus Barge just last night. We're going to dive the Ann Arbor number five probably tomorrow night. I, I live like 20 minutes out of South Haven. Um, this time of year, I can be home at, you know, 
and we can be in South Haven at 5:30, and you know, do an evening dive, no problem. That's what we're doing these days. So, mm-hmm. so how, how was Baltimore's barge this last time? Uh, uh, it was um, surprisingly good, actually. Uh, you know, I wasn't expecting much, and we had already planned the dive a couple days ago, and uh, forecast made it look pretty bad. I mean, we, there was like four footers during the day. But the uh, the iWindsurf app I use, I know you, you guys who are planning dives in the Great Lakes and maybe even in Australia, Derek, you might, might, I don't know if they have it, you know, have the data for you in your area, but uh, Derek is one of our regular listeners on the podcast here. He's in our chat room right now. He wants to dive the Great Lakes. It's on his bucket list, he says. It's, uh, the um, you know, iWindsurf, it's an app for your phone. It's got a red, it's got a white flag with a red I don't know, slash or something on it there. Uh, really detailed about wind forecast, which is crucial for planning going offshore. And uh, I could tell I was going to lay down in the evening around 5 o'clock. Oh, Derek says we use woolly weather. Woolly weather? That kind of sounds like an odd comment there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> is, there any, is there any shrinkage with that? Any? Yeah. <laughs> yep. He says, yup. <laughs> okay, we're going there. Anyhow, but uh, um, weather laid down, either the winds laid down, and I thought we all churned up, but no, it was great. Um, I did it in my wetsuit because it looked like it was going to, the boo report said it was going to be, oh, 75 degrees all the way down to 56 feet because there's a, a buoy out of South Haven that has the uh, temperature at depth. And it did, you know that usually that means pretty crappy conditions for a dive, you know, poor visibility. And yeah, it was 75 degrees all the way down to, actually all the way down to about 75 feet. Abrupt thermocline, really cold, and all of a sudden 75 feet, I could see the boat beneath me just open right up, and got down below 75 feet, and visibility became probably 60 to 60 maybe 80 feet. Just awesome, awesome, awesome dive down there. Um, and of course. Because the forecast has been, you know, give me an idea for cruddy water. <laughs> it was, uh, I, didn't bring, I didn't bring my camera. <laughs> no, so. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. But not a cool dive. Um, you know, I did have having to double dip it because I didn't have the best placed anchor. So I had to go back. I thought my anchor would clear and it didn't come clear. So I had to go back down and hoist the anchor down there. But, uh. No, it, it's and it's it's a steel wreck. It's a big, tough, rugged steel wreck and all that. But I don't like doing that. But it's what happens sometimes. Um, but like I say, uh, got a lot of diving gacha going on here in the Great Lakes. I see uh, Subaquatic Sports has got their uh, charter going out. Um, and every other weekend, it looks like here with, with uh, packed out crews. I know some of our people in the chat room I th- think are going on that. I know Eric dives off with uh, Subaquatic Sports quite a bit. Um, they're going out and seeing most of our wrecks pretty regularly, doing it well. So, so Mac, uh, you you got some diving in, didn't you? Yeah, we we've been on the uh, river dives, but we also got to uh, we did the North Pier. We haven't dove that for the last couple of years. Uh, golf balls? Actually, yes. Yeah, oh. Escape golf balls, mask, but uh, you didn't even a hood or gloves. No. Uh, and of course, we didn't go past maybe 30 feet if you went all the way out north and hit the hole. But uh, visibility was between five and 10 feet. 
happened if you were following somebody's trail. But it was absolutely gorgeous. Like you said, the lake surface temperature is in the 70s, 75. Holy mackerel. And, and so, quite, a ways, quite a ways down, too. Yep. And uh, if you look at the, the subsurface buoys for some of the, the plants, gives you mm-hmm. a good idea that it's been quite warm all around the lakes. Yeah, and, and, Mac, uh, and what you're, Mac's referring to is that a lot of these buoys will have a line down with a string of sensors, so it will tell you what the temperature is at different depths. Which is very, very nice. So, and like uh, Kevin was talking about, a lot of times the temperature in the thermocline will give you an indication of how the visibility is going. Yeah. Uh, sometimes uh, picking a poke, but sometimes you get lucky. Yeah, if you if you can monitor the temperatures and know which way the wind's going, it can usually give you a good indication of what kind of vis you can expect. And what I, mean, yeah, I think the draw of the river that we always hit is what you might find from bottles to jewelry to watches to whatever. It's it's always you might find something really, really, really nice. So has has did we get the movement we expected in the river with all the uh, current and the lack of diving in the last year that there's new uh, bottles and items exposed. Oh no 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 no! It's good bottle grubbing. Ah okay. Yep. Or maybe I, or maybe I shouldn't have said that. Mac got real quiet. Maybe I shouldn't have told. The story <laughs> there. So you so you're, well, you're, you're, I have dove the without going across. I've gone across. Hit a bottle cache the first time that was just outstanding. But the last two dives I've stayed on this side. I've had pretty darn good luck. Yeah. Well, I saw that uh, Jim Schultz posted it. He had quite a few, uh, uh, you know, the ones he took photos of with six all with heavy embosses. Yeah, I looked at those today. I went down to the shop, got some air. So we went out to the truck where he had them. And it's like, there were, a couple of them were not old, old, but sequentially between the crown tops, screw on tops, corkers, meds, he had a nice collection. And every yeah. one of them was embossed. Yeah. You know, the, the nicest yeah. one I've seen so far this season, one that Karen got, though. She oh, got a really well, nice medicine there. That was sweet. That was sweet. Right. Right out of the snake oil salesman handbook. <laughs> yeah, totally. You, you can almost picture the guy who, who had it, you know, the big uh, handlebar mustache is all waxed up. and. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, you guys do realize that we do happen to have Eric Roloff in our, in our chat room tonight. And he heads up the subaquatic, the well, the formerly subaquatic sport. Now it's the Wednesday night divers, but he heads that group up there, okay? And uh, he's going to tell all these guys, hey, we're getting bottles, and we're going to have, you know, Rob Noel and the whole crew out here next Tuesday, or maybe they'll make a sneak attack and get them <laughs> on their own. We're going to go out there next Tuesday, and those guys will have it all cleaned out because there's like 30 of them and eight of us. You know, that, you know what's going to happen? So, <laughs> yep. Eric's yeah. writing. Eric's taking notes right now. So yeah, yep. yeah. Well, we'll take the notes because when you get there and you see them all stacked up, that's the sign that Mac's been there. <laughs> I tell you what, Darren, you that one little spot we haven't been to in about five years is where. Oh we need yeah, to. we need to go there. Yes, we do. And when are we going to do that? Nobody knows where that is except us. And yeah. ain't nobody going to find it. No, but, uh, we got to get we got to get there first. Get there first, well, and we we'll, we'll make Big some John, we'll make some bottle stacks. <laughs> take Big John with us because we'll need the boat. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, we'll do that. Oh huh, yeah, I I need to do that. I'm I'm due. I I've been given permission about four or five times to go diving, and I haven't. Uh, I've got a giant 
roofing project that I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, both my wife and I are off tomorrow, which is unusual. Usually one or the other's off, but she's been off the last two or three days. She's been, her work's been telling her that she needs to take some time off. So she, she did that. So, uh, yeah, maybe, uh, let me know, Mac. We'll, we'll, we'll get out well, there. Well, you know, and, and even if you're not diving, Amy and I had some fun with this because you know how you've, it's a mud club slogan, not an official dive unless someone finds a golf ball, you know? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mac knows where I'm going with this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, it rains golf balls. That's what he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say too much. I'm going to have Chris Roxburgh all over my case here if I talk about. Somebody might have been tossing golf balls out in the river just to give the divers something to go after out there. Okay? But <laughs> I will say, all of a sudden, what the hell is this? You well, turn, you look, and there's a what the hell is this? There, there's nothing like a free range golf ball. You know, see them in their natural yeah. environment. Yeah. All right, now, now, don't put them out there just out there for people. You know, littering or hurting the environment and all that. You, you, you actually want to throw them at the divers so they can find them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Concussions. Uh... I, I'm I'm yelling four. Come on, you know, <laughs> incoming. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> no, we were. No, the best was we, we, we. Mac got a few too, but the best was uh, diver dub because we had a few of the uh, a few of the SAS folk came out and dove with us last uh, Tuesday, and uh, Deb was going right down by the boardwalk, and. I mean, I were standing out there, and we've got like a, you know, half dozen golf balls, and uh, she found every one of them. Of course, she's a recovery diver; she finds bodies, you know, so golf balls nothing to her, you know. <laughs> but but we can see her because the, the visibility's been great, you know. I mean, we had probably eight foot biz in the river the other day, which is really good, you know. And she's like, you know, going right by the boardwalk, and we're just like, boop. We see her grab it, pick it up, bloop. So you're, she grabs another one, you know. So <laughs> we had a lot of fun with it, but. Well, excellent. Now that, that's getting me all excited. I need to get out there. Yeah, now, it's a. I, I may have to break out the holy wetsuit for this. Uh, you're you're okay right now. I'm not using the hood or gloves. Other well, grubbing gloves, not near. Pre- yeah, I mean it's it's been nice it's out there. I mean, I'm, I'm taking my seven mil, and my seven mil is too much. You know, I mean my 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 three mils is shorty. That's not quite. Well, I got a five mils of shorty. That's might not be quite enough, but. Uh, well, I think Jim was doing a three mil last week. Yeah. Okay. Well, somebody posted online that they said that they that they thought it would have been perfect for a three because they were diving in a five. All right. So, uh, yeah. Uh, my, now, I've got a seven with enough holes that that might make it a five or a three. So uh, we should be good. A well-ventilated seven. There you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah well, it's a, give you some holes for the fish and the leeches that come join you there. So Yeah. 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 You know, I I have seen a uh, a sea lamprey in that in that area, and it weirded me out. And I wasn't quite sure. And I was asking Mac, you're like, yes, that's what it because it was it was albino, it was white, and the face was definitely a lamprey coming at me. And it, I was on the far side and uh, doing some grubbing and all that. And I was and I I had something come right at my face. And it looked like a big old hunk of clothesline, you know, and it wasn't, <laughs> and uh, and it had that 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 lamprey, you know, toothy yeah. face looking thing, you know, and it came at me and it and it took off. I must yeah. I must have scared it, you know. But uh, well, the easiest thing is you just slowly put your arm out, 
and that will be a good indication. Yeah, you, you pull know, your whether, sleeve up first, though. Yeah, yeah, pull the sleeve up and then and see what he there. does. Yeah, let me know how that works for you. I, I yeah, and and, and, and if you feel well. if you feel your kidneys being sucked out through your elbow, then you know it was a lamp. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, no, you do that. I just want to have my GoPro ready. <laughs> Vi- viral video. Here we come. Yeah, that probably do it there. You know, so. But, uh, <laughs> Not, not, not the way I want to make my name on the internet. Here was the, the guy that had the sea lamp race. <laughs> suck, you know, <laughs> yeah. Could, could you see Thank all the clickbait headlines? You know, guy French kisses a fish. Uh... Yeah, let me know how it works for you guys. I'm not going there. Hey, you, you're, you're <laughs> the one. You're the one wearing the holy wetsuit out there. Not me, yeah. man. I mean, that's just, that, that's just to antagonize him, tease him a little bit. Yeah, you know, just thinking about this, I might be going back to my dry suit. You know, Kevlar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Mac, yeah. do you have a a dive safety story for the week? Well, you know, we've been on here for a little while. I've uh, yeah. got or, one we, sort of a downer. It's called scuba diving fatality. So I don't know if okay. you want that one tonight. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Yeah, we've been doing about an hour and a half, so we can we can put that on the back burner for next week if you like. Yeah, we uh, might as well. Yep. It's good so, statistics it's from Dan. And uh, it's nothing we don't know, but it reinforces certain aspects. So, like, so that's a teaser for next week. Yes. Yep. And uh, I, I have to apologize for people. I'm I'm slowly trying to get caught up. So maybe with some extra time off this weekend, I'll be able to get it done. But I've got a bunch of episodes in the can. I got a new one out today, but I need to get those going. But we certainly appreciate your support. Thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast. Thank everybody who's in the chat room. We had Derek and Eric and Karen and Dave uh, joining us this this week. Uh, but we can use your support. And if you're doing well in this coronavirus epidemic and you have the ability and the, the desire, if you're finding value in the podcast, we could use your support. Head on over to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Click on over to the Patreon link, and then $3 or more gets you early access. And then let us know if there's some other perks or things that you would you would like that we could add. Uh, and we we're always looking for the feedback. We haven't gotten much feedback. I'm going to take a look and see if maybe we need to uh, change some links and stuff to get some additional information. But uh, let us know how you're liking the program. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Scoob Obsessed. We're on Twitter at Scoob Obsessed. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll have to do an Instagram at some point. I don't know. Does, does anybody go there? Yeah, we're we're all old guys, so I don't know if Instagram makes sense. So before we get going, you have anything you want to plug, uh, Kevin? Well, I'm going to do my usual plug, uh, which never seems to get old, at least not to me. I want to encourage all of our listeners to uh, continue to support your local dive center. Uh, you all like to get those uh, bargains online, but those bargains online are not going to fit your scuba tanks. Additionally, support your local libraries. Anytime you have a millage request in your area, which is going to benefit your library, send them some money. Go down there and see them. Do some business down there. Uh, everyone seems to think that all the information you need can be found on Google, but you can't. because There's lots of information in libraries which will not be digitized. And when those books are gone, that information is lost. So please support your local libraries. How about you, Mac? Do you have anything you want to plug? No, not this year, uh, other than, you know, get wet. Uh-huh. 
So I think we are to that time of the show. I will remove the cover from the bad joke as it's been uh, trying to get its way out. And this one is certainly bad. And when I say bad, I mean, it's not good. So, and, and probably not appropriate, you know, as we, as we go through the current political climate, uh, not only are these jokes bad, but uh, they're probably naughty or wrong in some way. So all protests could be sent to the other dive podcast and uh, they'll answer it. So, uh, are, are you ready? Yeah, I am now. I'm peaked. Okay. A man walks into Ann Summers to purchase a see-through lingerie for his wife. He has shown several possibilities in a range of 50 pounds to 150 pounds in price. The more see-through, the higher the price. He opts for the sheerest items and pays 150 pounds. He takes a lingerie home and he presents it to his wife and asks her to, to go upstairs and put it on and model it for him. Upstairs, his wife thinks, you know, I have It's so see-through, it might as well be nothing. I won't put it on. I'll do the modeling naked and return it tomorrow and get the $150, the 150-pound refund and keep the money for myself. So she appears naked at the top of the stairs and strikes a pose. The husband says, well, crap. I didn't realize it was that creased in the shop. <laughs> and the and the time of death was nine <laughs> and on the death ticket on the death ticket it said COVID, right? Yeah, but anyhow. <laughs> oh, you, you can't say I didn't warn you. That's true. So on that note, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And have a good time doing it. <laughs>